I'm getting to the age where my kids are remembering every single, every single thing I say. Um, you know, I'll, we're used to say, I used to be able to say things like, yeah, I'll do that in a couple minutes, or, or someday I'll take you and do this, or on Friday we'll do this, and then they would forget because they're kids and their brains are small, right? Um, but, but, uh, but now they remember everything. And I'll say something like a month ago, and my son will be like, Dad, remember when you said this? That's today. And I was saying, I did say that, shoot. You know, and you can't lie anymore because that's not good to lie to your kids, you know. But um, uh, so we're going to be talking over the next couple weeks about uh, this kind of this idea of what, what has God said? And, and is what do we really, the things that we believe about God are things that he actually said. So one of the things that's, that is funny is there's things that I grew up in the church, right? So I grew up in the pew. I, was, I always tell people I was born in the pew. We went Wednesdays, Sundays, Sunday nights. If there was any type of activity or speaker or slideshow, which was the worst, I was there, okay? Any missionary, any guest speaker, any whatever, right? I was there, right? And so there's, but there's things that I've found in my life the longer that I've been in church, there's things that I've attributed to that God has said that he actually hasn't really said, right? We all have that. We're part of this culture of Christianity, especially in America. If you go to other parts of the world, they have, a, they have Christianity, they have the life of Jesus, but their culture in which they function is much different, right? And so it's important for us to, especially in our culture today, to, say, to look at what we believe and how we think and what we value and to say, hey, did God really say this or not? Okay, and now that we question everything, right, or create doubt in our hearts, that's not what I'm saying. It's like little mentalities that I see and hear in myself and I hear in, in our, each other that I think would be helpful to talk about. So we're going to talk about, about uh, what did God say that today? Um, does God want you to be happy? Have you heard that before? God just wants you to be happy. I just, I just want you to be happy. Have you heard that? Have you said that to someone else before? Like, all I want for this, usually it's when you break up with them. I just really want them to be happy, you know, just so away from me is, will make you happy. What they're really saying is away from me, I will be happy, right? Um, does God want us to be happy? We hear that a lot. We are, live in a culture that is striving for happiness. I want to feel good. I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. Does God, did God, say he wants you to be happy. That's what we're talking about today. Well, so what makes you happy? What makes you happy in your life, right? So a couple things that make me happy, I think, like my kids. Yesterday I did a daddy-daughter dance with my kids. That was so cute. It also was just them running in circles around me for like two hours, so that was what it was. Um, also, the Packers didn't make it to the Super Bowl. That made me really happy. The Patriots lost in the playoffs. That made me real happy. Yes, right? Um, certain things make you happy. You know what makes me happy? Tacos. I love tacos. Those things make me happy, right? But today we're going to talk about what does God say about happiness for us. We're going to talk about the tension between happiness and joy. Scripture talks way, way, way more about joy than he does about happiness. And there's a difference in what happiness and joy are. So as we think about happiness, happiness is externally triggered by some set of circumstances, right? The Packers lost in the playoffs. They got destroyed. It was the best. I was so happy, right? I was happy the whole day, whole next day even, right? But after that, it was like, oh, whatever. The Packers lost. That's what they do in the playoffs, right? Happiness is, is, is set on my own circumstances or on my situations. If everything is in order, it creates happiness for me. If things are out of order, then I don't have happiness. So I do sales as my other job. If I sell a lot, I'm real happy. If I don't do sales, if I don't sell a lot, I'm not happy and neither is my wife, right? That's bad. 
Not that you're not happy with me, just whatever, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Happiness is really fickle, right? It's dependent on everything else going right, okay? The Bible does not promise us that happiness is the key to the blessing in life, right? Happiness is a byproduct of certain situations. But what the scripture does talk about a lot is this thing called joy. Joy is the fruit of the spirit. Joy is, joy is talked about throughout the Old and New Testament. We rejoice, we have joy, we, we're excited for what God has done and what he's doing. Joy is found not in our circumstances, but in our setting and security of who we are in Christ. Um, John Piper says this about joy. I think it's interesting. He says this, Joy is a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the word. John Wellman, another pastor, says this, John, John, Joy is an emotion that's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, and even the expectation of something great or wonderful. So there's this tension in Scripture, and there's this tension in us. To believe, does God want us to be happy? Or does God want us to live with joy? And those might seem kind of fickle and, and like so similar, but they're really, really different things. Now, let me say this. Jo- happiness is not a bad thing. Don't hear that. Like, it's not bad when I'm happy with the Packers lose. It's actually very good. Everyone should feel that way. Okay? It's, happiness is not bad, but God does not promise, and God's heart and desire is not so that you have happiness, because happiness is fleeting. And if you and I, as followers of Jesus, strive to make ourselves happy, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. First of all, we usually don't know what that means. What we're saying is we are striving to feel good. But God never promises that we'll be happy. He never says, like, I really, really want you to be happy today. He says over and over and over again, I want you to have joy. He says things like, I want your joy to be complete. I want you to rejoice in the things that I'm doing. I want you to see the joy of the Lord is your strength. Almost every time the, the Bible talks about suffering, it also talks about joy. Isn't that strange? Every t- like in James chapter 1, it says, Consider pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay, that's strange. If God wanted me to be happy, to have the emotion of happiness, he would say, get away from all suffering. Get away from all struggle and strife. And just do whatever makes you happy. Have you heard that one? Do, some of these things are the, some of the biggest cultural lies. Just do what makes you happy. That is not a promise from Scripture. That is not what God says on how we should live. He says, when you do the things that I've come to do. When you become who you are supposed to be in me, you will have this thing called joy. And joy never ends. Okay? It says this in, in, in Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter. In all this, we greatly rejoice. So before that, in the scripture, it talks about all the things that God has done. He, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he's given us new life, he's making us sons and daughters of God. We have hope in him because of what he's done for us. So then he says this, in all these things, we greatly rejoice. We have joy. Though now for a little while, we will have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Great. That sounds terrible. These have come so that proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater than joy, which, per, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. So he's saying, like, listen, you, you should rejoice in what God has done and see what he's going to do, even though it's going to be hard, because it's going to produce this great, genuine faith. It's more precious than gold. 
it's more profound and more, it's worth more than any, basically in that time, gold was like the most important thing. How much gold did you have, right? It's more precious than that. It says this in Psalm 16, he says this, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. So joy, there's security in joy, right? There's not security in happiness, right? The Packers will play again. I'll hope that they lose again. They might win, right? This is a theme. Because you did not abandon me to the realm of death, nor will you let, your, let the faithful see decay. You make known to me the path of life so that I will be filled with joy in your presence, the eternal pleasures at your right hand. So there's this, there's this, there's this idea of like, there's turmoil and strife all around us. If you've watched the news this week specifically, there is stress and struggle and tension in the world. If you've been on social media in the last eight minutes, there's tension and stress and turmoil in the world, right? And what is he saying? He says, in the midst of all of this, you will be secure and you will find hope in the joy that comes from the Lord. And so he says, like, you can have an emotion of happiness, an emotion of joy, an excitement for life, a hope for the future in the midst of the trials. God never promised or said, strive for happiness. He says, I want you to have joy. Joy is the same regardless of what's happening in your surroundings. Happiness is, happiness is contingent on certain things working out in your life. And if those things work out, how do you be happy? You're, it's like clinging to water and trying to bring it into, your, into yourself. It just goes right through your hands. God did not say, brothers and sisters, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. Ooh. Right? He said, he said, I want, you, I want my joy in you to be complete and secure. See, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. He talks about being, it's a hope for the future. It's the, Paul says, remember the joy of your salvation. Right? So whether God does anything else or whether you're in the midst of all the junk of life, we have the, salva- the joy that comes when we are saved. Oh my gosh, Lord, you saved me. You died for me. You rose again. You forgave my sins. You set me free. I'm your son, your daughter. This is amazing. We find joy in that. As followers of Jesus, it is crucial for us as light of the world to put our hope in the joy of the Lord and not in the, in the fickleness of our happiness. Because just if, if, maybe life's great right now and everything's in order and your kids aren't doing stupid stuff. Right? And your finances aren't great. There's lots of that going on. Right? And you're like, this is great. Do not put your hope in that. Put our hope in the Lord and the joy that comes from that. Okay? I know this is kind of a bummer. So God doesn't want you to be happy. (laughs) He wants you to have joy. Obviously, happiness is fine. All right, I'm going to talk the last minutes. There's There's a story of scripture about Jesus and his beginning of his ministry. And I've read it several times, taught on it several times. I've never thought, looked at it through the lens of joy and happiness. Okay, so we're going to talk about, for the next couple minutes, the temptation that's found in happiness. The temptation that's found in happiness. So whatever you and I strive for, there's always temptations in that, right? Like if you're striving for your career, you're going to be tempted at times to maybe cut corners of, the, of your character to get ahead, Right? Or, if you, or, to, or to, there's always temptations in everything we do, okay? So we're going to talk about the temptations of happiness, and we're going to talk about this in Matthew chapter 3. This is Jesus about ready to get baptized, the beginning of his ministry. So John and 
these people are getting baptized. John's getting baptized in them. He comes and Jesus says, baptize me. He's like, no way, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, yep, go for it. Read it in Matthew chapter 3. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at the moment, at that very moment, heaven was opened up. And he saw the spirit of the Lord descending like a dove and alighting on him, lighting him up. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased, right? This is what we talked about on Father's Day. This is always the Father's Day message, just so you know. You don't have to come that day. No, please do. We'll have hot sauce or chicken or something. I don't know. We'll have something for you. Um, So in this moment, Jesus is like, this is what everyone wants, right? This, This great moment with God, a father to a son saying, I'm so proud of you. You are my son. You are the one. I'm so pleased. This is great. And in our culture, in our world, it's like, okay, great. Now let's just maintain that forever. Now I'm just going to enjoy that and ride that wave forever. Let's just get up and to the right from here, right? And that is not what happens. Because then it says in chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? That doesn't make any sense. Why would God, who loves me so much, all of a sudden now I'm tempted? God, where are you? See, that was not Jesus' perspective. He understood that God's presence was going to enable him to deal with anything that the enemy would bring in his path. He understood that God, knowing who he was, I am the son of God. God is pleased with me. I have the Holy Spirit with me. No matter what comes my way, it's going to be okay. So when you and I face temptations, when you and I face struggles, we can't default to where is God now? God's like, I just did this work in you so that you could sustain through the struggle and the pain. And so Jesus goes into the desert, is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound very, like, churchy. It's like, God will never do these things in your life. He's like, yeah, but he did it all the time to Jesus. He led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted with the purpose of temptation by the enemy. So the contrast of this is really, really odd. So that's why when you read the Bible, you have to feel that tension. Think about the highs of emotions. Like, think about when someone that you, means a lot to you, maybe it's a father figure, or a mother figure, or a, a mentor, has said something to you like, you are, I'm proud of you, I believe in you. I mean, you're like, oh, I can take on the world. The reason why that's given to you is so you can take on the world. You can, whatever comes, God will be with you. So he's led in the wilderness To be tempted by the devil. Great. That'll be fun. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which is like the understatement of the century. I fast for like eight hours, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Lord, bring me some tacos. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. In, In Luke's chapter, it says, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the enemy came to tempt him. So Jesus had slowly been getting hungrier. If anyone's ever done a prolonged, I had a friend who did a 21-day fast, water fast. He lost 30 pounds, and as it went on, he looked worse and worse and worse. But God was doing a deeper and stronger work in him. After fasting four days and four nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's an interesting temptation in the midst of how we see joy and happiness. See, after 40 days and 40 nights, I'd be hungry. 
Like when I, we fast on Tuesday, Tuesday at noon we eat, and I'm just like, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. You know, I'm just like excitement, you know. So the enemy is offering to Jesus an immediate fix of his problem. This is going to make you feel better. This is going to take away all the struggle. And what, and what the temptation will be in our lives is to trade the fulfilling things for the immediate things. See, joy is fulfilling. Happiness is immediate. Have you ever cooked a great meal? Like if you go to Dave's house, he'll probably cook you a great meal, just so you know. Just show up, he'll do it. He's a great guy. He really will, anytime, right? I mean, it's like, it's like grabbing Taco Bell or cooking this great meal. There's much more joy found in the cooking of the great meal and the sitting around the table and the eating together than stuff in our face with tacos. And, and the temptation for Jesus was, here's the immediate. All your pain, all your struggle, you will be happy. It'll be okay. It'll be a quick fix. But what God is saying in us as we live in joy is that joy is about being fulfilled. See, I have joy when I realize that I'm living a, fulfill, a fulfilling life. That my life is not being lived just so I can have and feel and whatever. It's so that I can, I'm having an impact or I'm living my life for other people or I'm, I'm fulfilled because I'm doing something that matters in the world. See, if you try to just grab the immediate because it feels good, the quick fix, you'll miss out on the fulfillment. You'll miss out on the fulfillment. And you and I want a fulfilling life. We want to get home and we, we should be spent because we have done something that matters. And that can be a job that you don't think matters, but it's in how you see and work and love people around you that helps you live a fulfilling life. And you'll, be, you'll find joy in the fulfillment. And you will not usually find joy in the immediate. It'll be fleeting. Because Jesus would have felt great. Oh, great, now I can eat, blah, 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 blah. He just submitted to the enemy's temptation. Right? And he reminds us, I don't live on the immediate. I don't live on bread alone. But I live on the word of God. I live on what is more fulfilling and more profound and more, more going to help me become who he wants me to be. So your temptation might be to trade the immediate or trade the fulfillment of life for the immediate things. And not just with food, it could be anything. You're not going to always want to do the thing that you know is going to fulfill you. But that's why you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why you have the Father that said, I'm proud of you, you can do this. So joy is found in fulfillment. Next, next part. So Jesus is tempted three times in the desert. Four, after 40 days, the enemy comes. He starts to do these temptations. They're very, they're very strategic. Okay, the second one is this, and this one's really interesting. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple, and he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in, your, in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. First of all, the enemy knows the scripture, just so you know. Do you understand that? The enemy knows the scripture. When Adam and Eve are tempted, the, 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 the snake comes or the enemy comes and says, did God really say that? That means that he knew what God said. The enemy knows the scripture. So you knowing the scripture is probably essential to overcoming the enemy's attacks. If the enemy knows it and you don't, that's, that's like, it's like, being in a, it's like playing a football game and you're not wearing pads and the other team is. Good luck. That's going to hurt. Unless it's the Packers, they suck. So it's fine. <laughs> Sorry. 
I was thinking about this one a lot this week because it's kind of it's a really interesting it's a really interesting temptation, right? Because the first one makes a ton of sense. He's hungry, right? And the last one will make a ton of sense. It's like because we deal with it. This one's kind of odd. He's like he's at the top of the temple, which I have been, and it's it's probably up 50 feet at this pinnacle point, and it's just rock, so you would be dead if you jumped, right? And it's just, it's just like it's like an odd temptation. It's like all right, Jesus, now jump to your death. Jump and see, the angels are going to take care of you, right? And it's, a, it's kind of an interesting temptation because no one would really be tempted by that, would they? Here, jump to your death and see if the angels take care of you. But what is, what is the temptation? And I, I struggle with the word, but I use the word self-indulgence. I, I thought about other words, but that one kind of hit, hit me most of all. Jesus would just be honestly kind of showing off. Look who, what I am doing. See, the angels will come. And everything about Jesus was not, that was not his character, right? It would be reckless. It, wouldn't, it had no purpose to it. Why would he do this? But you and I are tempted all the time to spend our time and to make decisions that are not very purposeful. It might not be reckless, like we're not teenagers anymore, so maybe we're not making reckless decisions. But I definitely make purposeless decisions. Why do I want to do this? And the enemy's job is to help to kind of get your eyes off stuff that really matters and get your eyes on things that just doesn't matter. It's pointless to the story. It would have been pointless for Jesus to be like, watch this. Woo, kind of like showboaty, kind of odd, right? Reckless, almost like thrill, like watch, I am the Son of God. And that's nothing of Jesus' character. It was just purposeless. What is he saying? You and I will be tempted to do purposeless things because it creates moments, little short moments of happiness right? It might be, like, look at addiction rates in our country. Like, drugs and alcohol and things like this create short fixes, but they do not create fulfillment. They do not create, addictive lives are not purposeful lives, right? And that's not callous to people who are struggling with addiction, but it's it's a temptation. Why would Jesus do this? It has no purpose. And you're going to trade purposeful living for self indulgence. See, when I self-indulge in certain things, whatever it is, maybe it's sinfulness, maybe it's a brokenness, maybe it's like, maybe it's, a, maybe it's like some lust, it's some sort of greed, it's some sort of, I want this now, I want to buy it, I want to have it, it's mine, I, you know, whatever it may be. That might create a short-term fix of happiness, but it will not create joy. And the temptation for us is to not live purposeful, but to live to indulge. Ooh, I get experience, I get to eat, I get to consume, I get to be pleased, I get to be, feel good. And that is the culture we live in. And the devil's not an idiot. He knows this would be a purposeless thing for Jesus to do. It would be a reckless thing to the purposefulness of his calling and ministry. I had this friend in college, and he was, how do I say this? An idiot. No, he was a good guy, I guess. I don't know. He was, like, really reckless in his life. He loved God, but he would, like, do things like stand on top of a van while people were driving on the highway, you know? And, like, and he'd always say the same thing. And it was like, he's like, God's not done using me yet, he would say. And then he would do something stupid. And I'm like, yeah, but he could. There's other people, you know? Like, God could use someone else than you, right? Kind of thing. And when I was thinking about this thing, it was kind of like that. Like, I'm doing purposeless, reckless meaningless things, and it's not going to, it might make me feel good, give me a thrill, it might make me have a little bit of happiness, but it will not create joy. The people I respect the most in my life are the people who live purposeful. 
It's not like you can never have fun and everything should have a per, you know, point. That's not what I'm saying. It's balance, right? But you will have joy when you live purposeful, a purposeful life. That what you do and how you spend your time and what you, what you are, who you're around and who you're investing in really means something. And happiness and the culture tells you just do what makes you feel good. And that is a, a lie from the pit of hell. Because doing what makes me feel good is indulgent to what I just want right now, usually. But shaped around the life of Jesus, it's like, I'll do what makes me feel good. I want to do something that, has, that really matters and has purpose in this world. Are we doing okay? Okay. Such a joyful message. Then he says this, again in verse 8. Again, so the third time, the devil took him to the very high mountain. So he could see all over the, basically all over the, it says you could see all the kingdoms of the world. So I don't know what, what that means. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And then Jesus said this, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him, or they came and ministered to him. He took care of him. You and I are going to have this temptation to trade our potential for some status or or some promotion or for some level of power or for some type of authority. See, the devil said to him, look at all, look at this. It's all yours, right? It's all yours. Just worship me. And and that's, that's tempting, right? Have you ever had an opportunity to have a promotion or have something? You're like, ooh, wow, that's good money. Or, ooh, that could be over this many people, and they would have to listen to me, right, that idea. But what, what was the temptation was Jesus was going to be the king of the world. Jesus knew that I'm going to be the king of this world, and not just this world, but the world past and the world to come. And, he, and the temptation for us we to trade the potential of what God wants to do in us for a little bit more status or a little bit more recognition or a little bit more promotion. And those things aren't bad, right? But I caution us to make sure that it is leading us to who God wants us to become in our potential. Because the, Jesus would have gotten the kingdoms of the world, but he would have become a slave to the enemy. You might achieve and get this promotion and have this paycheck and have this thing, but you might become a slave to something that you don't want to become a slave to. And you might have to serve that thing and you don't want to serve that thing, but you have a little bit more status. You have that many more followers. You have a little bit more recognition when you're out in the community. The temptation, and that, what that does is it gives you, it makes you feel good. This is where I'm at. This is my 401k, whatever that means. Who knows? And, and Jesus' temptation is valid temptation, right? And we all feel it. It's in, ultimately, what it is, is it's power. Mankind desperately wants power. And we put it in spiritual terms, like, I just want more influence. I'm like, nope, you want power. <laughs> I just want to have more impact. Like, do you? Or do you want to reach the potential that God wants to reach in your life? Do not trade the... Happiness that comes from a promotion. I, I had a friend, he got a big promotion, made a lot of money, but his life was miserable. Like, make a lot of money. If you can make a lot of money for the kingdom and invest in people and ministries and ways to help the poor, do that. Praise the Lord. 
God has given you that and blessed you that for a reason. But not at the sake of your soul and not so that you put your hope and your strength in that because that will not create happiness. It might create happiness for a little bit, but joy has come when you say, I'm working towards the potential that God has put inside of me. Regardless of my surroundings, regardless if they keep promoting the other guy who doesn't have as much experience as me, regardless as if they promote this person for whatever reason or they give this person a platform and not me, what the heck? If my happiness is put into that, I will be disappointed. But if my happiness is in the process of God working into my life, then I just anticipate the things that he wants to do. And I find joy in that and hope in that. And I see it as God developing in me the person I need to be and the person you need to be so that you can handle the blessing that God wants to give. And that's where you find joy. That's where you rest in the joy of the Lord. Rach, if you just want to come up and play. So, does God want you to be happy? Never. No. God wants you to be happy. You know, God, like we did this dance with the girls, and I was happy. It was great. We had donuts. It made me happy. Then I felt terrible. Oh, my gosh. So many donuts. So, it's not, it's not that happiness is evil or bad or from the devil, but there is a temptation in putting our hope and our seeking and our striving just to be happy, just to achieve, just to consume just to have this status or have this thing or have the boat. Don't buy a boat. It's a pain in the butt. Have your neighbor buy a boat, then use his boat. <laughs> so my, my prayer for you, for me, is I would just look at my heart. Am I trying to put my hope and my strength in things that are going to make me happy? Or am I clinging to the joy of the Lord? There's something that people say in Christian world that's ridiculous. They say, today I'm going to choose joy. You ever hear that? I've heard sermons on that, and I just want to barf. Like, choose joy. Just choose joy today. You know, choose joy, sister, brother. It's like, no. Joy is not a choice you make. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Joy is a byproduct of the values and the perspective of, I want God's life and love inside and around me. And what's producing that is a byproduct, and that's joy. He says, hey, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you're inviting him to move, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you're going to have love, regardless of your situations, you're going to have joy, you're going to have peace, you're going to have patience. And so that when life gets, you know, how it gets, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of your salvation will sustain you. The joy and the hope of what is to come, that our Savior is in control and on the throne, and I'm sealed and marked in heaven. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. That is a byproduct of relationship with God. Romans 15 says this. It's a great verse, man. This is a good memorizer. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. This is my prayer for us today. As you trust in him, that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So tomorrow, I don't want you to choose joy because you'll be disappointed. Like, I feel terrible. What the heck? What I want you to do is ask God to fill you with his spirit, to give you his heart and his life, and then the byproduct will be joy. And then what you will see is you'll see the temptations in your day, and you'll see the choices you have to make. Do I choose them immediate, immediate for the fulfilling? Do I choose the self-indulgent or the pleasure or the reckless, you know, the purposeless for something that's purposeful? And do I choose the status and the promotion and the reshares for 
potential that God has for me. And that is the greatest gift that you can give the world too, because they will see someone who is not shaken by what is around them, but is resting in the hope and joy of the Lord. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now. Pray in the name of Jesus. We pray for every person here. Lord, that we would just, we would not just try to like manufacture this thing called joy in our lives, Lord. But we would be filled with your spirit, Lord, to overflowing. Just right now in your own words, just ask God to fill with your spirit. Ask God to give you the joy of your salvation, to, to give you the fruit of the spirit that only comes from him. God, I pray for every person here, God, that they would see the temptations that come around them and that they would choose to live a life that honors you in every aspect. And the byproduct of that will be joy. And they will, they will not trade for anything less than the best that you have for us. Just if you're just in your spot, we're gonna take a couple minutes, just some quiet. And if you feel if you feel uh, led to lift your hands or to open your hands to him or to just pray, just ask God, God, give me fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your joy. Realign my priorities. Help me to see the temptations that are happening in my week, in my month, in my job, in my in my friend group, in my in, in how in my daily habits of what I eat and what I do and what I consume. God, give me perspective now. I'm just gonna give you a minute. We're not gonna say anything. I just want you to take some deep breaths. Ask God to work in you and ask him to fill you with your joy. presence, Lord. Thank you for your love. As we go, we pray that you would cement these things in our hearts. That we wouldn't just go on with life and forget the things that you've said. That we wouldn't be like a person who goes and looks in the mirror and then forgets how he he or she looks. But we would be, be a people who are just desiring to be close to you to know who you, what you've actually said and who you actually are. God, I pray that the joy of the Lord, the joy of who you are would be our strength tomorrow. That we would have joy in the midst of our pain and our struggle and our circumstances. Not because it's so great to have pain, but because we know who you are. We know that you are going to take care of us. We know that we are. this is not our forever situation. God, give us perspective. I pray now for anyone here who has lost hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just reinstill the hope that comes from you in their hearts and in their lives, that they would see and that they would hear a loving Savior and a loving Father saying, you are my son, you are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. That we would be filled like the dove ascending on us so that we can be filled with your spirit to face the things that come in our lives this week. God, would you affirm every person here with that same love, that same affirmation that you are well-pleased. We might have things in our lives that aren't pleasing, but you are well-pleased in us because we are your sons and we are your daughters. 
So work in us now in our hearts. Show us your love. And as we go, Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to serve you and to be your light and your salt to the world around us. We thank you for this day, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Stand up. Um, Next week we're talking about, did God say that he will not give you more than you can handle? (gasps) Cliffhanger. Um, Have a great week, everybody. Uh, We have, um, if you want to do financial peace still, there's still time. Also, if you want to go to Guatemala, there's still time. So let's do those things. All right, have a good week. We love you. Bye.